You know, I, I tell this story about Meryl Streep because, believe it or not, Meryl Streep had trouble crying. And she said to an actress at Yale who was very emotional, she said, how do you cry like that? And the actress said, when you look at the world, how can you not? That is Larry Moss. And I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Larry is one of the most sought-after acting coaches in the world today. He worked with Helen Hunt on As Good As It Gets, Toby Maguire on Seabiscuit, Hilary Swank on Boys Don't Cry and Million Dollar Baby, Leonardo DiCaprio on The Aviator, The Departed, The Wolf of Wall Street, and many, many more. He studied with Stella Adler and Sanford Meisner. He has taught at Juilliard and The Circle in the Square in New York City. He has acted in numerous Broadway productions, has directed for the stage and screen, is the founder of the Larry Moss Studio in Los Angeles, and is the author of the highly acclaimed book on acting, The Intent to Live. Enjoy this episode. You speak about the importance of hard work and I talk to a lot of people and they say, hey, I want to be an actor. And then I say, okay. And they never go to acting class and they move to LA a week later. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. Also, I had an acting teacher once tell me that uh, there's not a lot of competition in this industry. There's just a lot of bodies in the way. What do you think of all that? Well, I will tell you that the people that I work with, that I'm fortunate enough to work with, work their butts off. They go to voice class, they go to Alexander class for their posture, so they know how to change their posture in a given role. They work on dialects, you know, where are your ancestors from? What accent or accents do you have in your bag of tricks? I have a Southern background, and English background and Russian. And I have a, a, a sense of how to play Southern characters and Russian and English. They're in my blood memory. And one of the great things about acting is playing something that's close to you, but then also playing something far away and say, oh my God, I could play that kind of guy or that kind of woman. You know, that's the great thing about the documentary Tootsie is that, you know, the whole scene is about how this actress that has been his student, he's an actor and an acting teacher, can't do the scene well, and he shows her how to do it. And it's hilarious, because what he does, because he can't get a job as an actor, because he's so neurotic, nobody will work with him, he dresses up in drag, and goes to the audition and gets the part, and has to, and, and I mean, Tootsie's one of the great comedies ever written. Mm -hmm. And the great thing that's so beautiful, that Larry Gelbart and Murray Shiskel and uh, a number of other people who wrote that screenplay, Sidney Pollack and Larry Gelbart and Dustin Hoffman had a talk. They said, if we can find out what Tootsie's about in one sentence, we'll make the movie. So they went away and they talked all weekend. And when they came back from the weekend, they had the sentence that's the basis for Tootsie, how a man becomes a better man by becoming a woman. Mm. Because he sees what an asshole he is to women and how men are disrespectful to women 
and God knows that's coming out now all over the place. And the movie was way before its time. So I say, do your work. Love your work. Go to class. Find out what your voice can do. Can you play a very uptight character? Can you play a silly character? Have you ever done an animal exercise? Have you ever worked on an animal? You know, it's a famous thing. It's in my book about Marlon Brando. For the last scene in The Godfather, worked on a gorilla. Mm -hmm. And if you watch The Godfather, you can see the way he uses his hands and his head. I mean, it's people use different kinds of dogs. I, I did a part once where I worked on a rattlesnake, which made my walk very close to the ground. And it gave me a... And also I found out that rattlesnakes, baby rattlesnakes, are blind when they're born and they're abandoned by their mothers after three days. And I thought, that would piss you off. Mm -hmm. So that affected my character enormously. So all of these techniques are things you go after. And I know there's people that'll say, I don't want to be that kind of actor. I just want to use my personality and get a series. And that's fine. But that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I always say to young actors, go and get five movies of Daniel Day-Lewis, five movies of Meryl Streep, watch them without sound, and just watch their bodies. Then watch them again and just listen to them and study their voice. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable what Daniel Day-Lewis and Meryl Streep do with their voices and their bodies. It's incredible. And that's why I've been so lucky to work with great actors who are willing to do that kind of work. You have to start slow. You don't do it all at once. It takes years. Mm -hmm. But you begin by working with good acting teachers, good scene work, voice work. You say, well, I don't like Shakespeare. That's because you can't do it. Why don't you try? I was listening to some old episodes of this podcast, actually. Sometimes I go back just for fun and I listen to, I listen to little pieces of them and kind of like going back and reviewing lessons. And uh, I was listening to one that I did two years ago. And uh, at this time, I was incredibly nervous when I would go into audition. And, uh, and the, one of my first mentors who was on the first nine episodes of this podcast is Ron Morosco. He's a, the theater chair at Loyola Marymount University. And he said this quote, he said, you know, one day you're going you're gonna to get up in front of the camera and, and the, the, the casting director or the director is going to say, wow, you're so comfortable in front of the camera. And you're going to go, oh, shit, me? Because two years ago you couldn't do it or 10 years ago you couldn't do it. And two years ago I could not do that. But I have worked at it. I've worked very hard. I've tried a lot of different things. Some of them work, some of them don't. And now I am comfortable. So yes, I believe in work. I believe in hard work and work works. Right there, man. I'm right there with you. And it makes every day exciting. When you start to see what your voice can do, how many notes you have in your voice, and you suddenly do a scene with your voice that you've never explored before, you go, I didn't even know I had that note. Mm -hmm. Do you know that when Laurence Olivier played Othello, believe it or not, he worked on his voice for a year to lower his voice an entire octave. Wow. From his, from his regular speaking voice, an entire octave. Wow. And he was the king of English theater. Yeah. And um, I have, as Uta Hagen said in her book, great respect for acting. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of good young actors and actresses. This wonderful actress who won the Oscar for Brooklyn, who's in Lady Bird. Yeah. Her performance is so specific and human. And every teenager will go, yeah, that's how it is. I mean, everybody in that movie is so authentic. Laurie Metcalf, who plays the mother. The work is so, you know, and you see, you know, Laurie Metcalf on Broadway in a, in a Doll's House Part 2. And now she's going to do Three Tall Women by Edward Albee on Broadway. Yeah. And Laurie Metcalf did Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Yeah. And so did Jessica Lange. You know, that, sorry to interrupt you, but Laurie Metcalf's role as the mother in Lady Bird, it was a, it was a, a part that almost could have been thrown away. It could have been just there. But you know what the key is? What? Sorry to interrupt. Do you know what the key that she found? What? That she was the adult child of an alcoholic. Right. And adult children of alcoholics are control freaks. Right. And that little tidbit, which Laurie Metcalf, who's superb, would never miss. Yeah. Her entire attitude towards her daughter and life was cut off the crusts, get there on time, don't embarrass me. Yep. And it's behavior that comes from a, a, a person whose parents were alcoholic. Yep. When she says that in the movie, and it's it's halfway through or three quarters of the way through the movie when she says, because I was the parents of, of alcoholics and closes the door, your voice screamed in my head, like, given circumstance. Like, if you yeah. fucking miss that. If you miss that, you're cooked. Yeah. I want to just say one thing. Mm. I hope all of your listeners, and I, I wrote about it too in my book, Go and get a copy of a movie called The Goddess with an actress named Kim Stanley. Mm -hmm. And if you watch The Goddess, you'll see what was a great American actress who was great on the stage. I was lucky enough to see her several times live and on film. And uh, it's a performance you'll never forget. Yeah. Raw, raw acting talent. It's so specific. You're watching something you don't even... You go... It's like life. That's why I didn't call my book The Intent to Act, but rather The Intent to Live. Mm -hmm. Larry, let's move on to uh, chapter number two. Whenever you get confused about what you're doing in a part, whether you're working on it at home, auditioning, rehearsing, or in performance, say to yourself, wait a minute, what's driving me? Chapter two of your book, The Intent to Live, is on the super objective and the objective. There's a movie called The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz with Richard Dreyfuss about a man who wants to be rich more than anything else in the world. And as the movie goes on, every time he makes money, he scratches himself. He has an itch for more money. And it keeps growing through the entire film. He keeps itching himself the more money he gets until the most hilarious moment in the movie, he scratches his whole body. His whole body, it just brings the house down because he wants to be the richest man in the world. And that's what drives him through the film. I wrote about in my book about Maggie the Cat in Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. She wants security. She wants money. She uses sex and humor, sensuality and anger and pity because she says, Brick, I've been so disgustingly poor all my life. You don't know what it's like because he's a rich boy. And that's what drives Maggie. And, you know, Tennessee Williams wrote a lot of different endings to Cat Not Tin Roof. But in one of them, 
at the end of the play, which is so brilliant, Maggie says, because he thinks she just loves him, not really, but was there for the money. And Maggie says at the end of the play to Brick, her husband, I really do love you, you know, Brick. And his last line is, wouldn't that be funny if it were true? And there's the play, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What is, you know, what do the Macbeths want? Power. Why do they want power? What will it mean if they don't get it? Or somebody wants that person to love them. And if they don't, you say to yourself, I want this. But then you have to ask yourself, what will happen if I don't get it? Mm-hmm. And then you have to ask yourself, how do I get it? What is the personality of my character? Do I joke around a lot? Am I rigid and mean and still and judgmental and sarcastic and hostile? Or am I a complimenting kind of person that's always ingratiating people? Or am I always seductive? What kind of, what is my, how do I disturb the air? Mm-hmm. When my character is on the screen, what What's different? Mm-hmm. What do I bring? Like another thing I say to my students all the time, I say, why are you in the play? Let's cut you out. Mm-hmm. And they go, you can't cut me out. I go, why? Mm-hmm. And I go, let's cut you out of the scene. You can't cut me out of the scene. Why? Right. You tell me why you're important to this play. Right. You say in your book, remember that the objectives of your character in each scene are ribs on the spine of the super objective. Well, that's Stanislavski. If, if everything that a person does in a good script is to gain something. Yeah. That's just simple, basic, dramatic structure. And you discern from reading the script what the character must have. I didn't say just wanted, must have. And once you discern it, then you go, how would that affect me? How do I understand wants how do i try to get what i want on a daily basis how do i treat people what do i do actively i say to actors all the time i go what were you doing and they'll go well i was i was feeling i go i didn't ask you what you were feeling i asked you what you were doing well i i wanted i go i'm not asking you what you wanted i'm asking you what you're doing what are you doing to get what you want well i'm 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 trying to win them over that's right and how are you trying to do that? Oh, by joking around and making fun of them and doing funny, weird shit that makes them embarrassed? Okay, that's what you're doing in order to what? In order to get them to think I'm cool. Mm-hmm. So that the what? So that what? So that they'll like me. Why is it important that they'll like you? Why? 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 Why do you want what you want? Go back to your own life. What do you get up every day and want? Who do you love? Who are you jealous of? Who broke your heart? Who gave you joy? Acting is life. Everything we do is so specific. When I get up in the morning, I go, okay, waffles. Waffles and coffee. And I have, a, I have my agenda. Putting the water on first for the coffee, then turning the oven on to 400 degrees, getting my whole wheat organic waffles, getting my organic almond butter with cranberry, blueberry jam, and the day starts. Very specific, wa- very specific waffle. 
very specific waffle. I don't have scrambled eggs and bacon. No. Nope. That's the kind of guy I am. Right. And, you know, you can get too heady because people can say, well, what the hell do I care what I have for breakfast? I go, you, you may not care what your character has for breakfast. Mm-hmm. But when you get into eating in a English comedy where they drink tea and they have biscuits, how do they drink the tea? Right. And eat biscuits. Right. An upper class aristocratic English person eats very differently than a slob like Stanley Kowalski who throws the food in his mouth and probably talks with his mouth open. There's nothing more exciting than finding the behavior. And it's not about being acting. It's about finding the specificity of the person you're playing and how they go about getting what they want. And you say, how does my character walk down the street? I go to coffee shops and I sit for an hour and I just watch people. And I swear to God, in New York, you just sit and watch people for an hour and you cry and you laugh and you're in awe. Just the way people walk and dress, anger and joy and humor and sadness and desperation. Watch life. Watch other people. Watch how people eat dinner. Watch their foot, you know, if they're talking to somebody and their foot is shaking. We, we are psychological beings and our body says so much about how we feel. That's character. And uh, this is why you want to study people. If you just go, just try it for 20 minutes, go and just watch people walk. It'll blow you away. And then watch the way you walk. And you go, well, how does Hamlet walk? How does Stanley Kowalski walk? How, how do people from Shakespeare's time, depending on the class they come from, wear their clothes? Why do they speak the way that they speak? What do the words mean? When you break down Shakespeare... And you understand what the words, which are words we don't use anymore, and you find out what they mean. You fall in love with Shakespeare, and you sit down and read it, and you go, I'm learning about my life right now. Right now. Everybody's Hamlet. Everybody. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I don't know if you are either, but I'm fascinated. That's a good Good. sign. And I want to give you an example of something that I will tell you. In my class, the amount of scene work that we do and the different writers that we work on, on the first week of the class, you you get to see all of these writers. And I'm just going to list it for you. We are doing Fool for Love by Sam Shepard, Antigone by Jean Ennui, a wonderful play called Constellations, an English play by Nick Payne. Italian-American Reconciliation by John Patrick Shanley, Harper Regan by Simon Steffens, Beggars in the House of Plenty by John Patrick Shanley, Hurley Burley by David Rabe, Almost Maine by John Cariani, Sex with Strangers by Laura Eason, Mauritius, which was written by uh, Teresa Rebeck, talking about female writers, Four Dogs and a Bone by Shanley, Lonesome West by the great Martin McDonough, Snake Bit by David Marshall Grant, Speaking in Tongues by an Australian playwright, Andrew Bobel, 
That's the class. And the class goes for 10 hours. And we work our butts off and people go out of there saying, I'm in love with writers. Yeah. Speaking of your workshop, Larry, on your website it says that you have a very stringent acceptance policy. What are you looking for? Looking for people that are on fire to grow or are willing to risk working, rehearsing for two weeks before they come to class because they have to come to class with blocking, costumes, the behavior of the character. If there's an accent, they have to do the accent. I, work, I want to work with people that want to work. And sometimes people go, oh, I, I just, you know, I'll rehearse once or twice and just wing it. And I go, don't come to my workshop. Yeah. Because that's, that's not where my head is at. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying this is why I love what I do. Yeah. If I want actors to fall in love with writers. And I will tell you, they do. And when I see the younger generation cry over Eugene O'Neill, or they've never seen a play by Strindberg, and they go, Jesus, I didn't even know that person existed. That's unbelievable. Their mind expands, you know? We can be so excellent. What are we afraid of? Yeah. So I, I, I take people that want, and who have a resume that shows that they are taking classes, working on their voice, working in other classes, and uh, that they they want to come and be real adults. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you're doing eight shows a week on Broadway, you better grow up. Yeah. You better grow up. Yeah. And I go to the theater a lot, and I see things. I go, there's a wonderful young actor who's doing a, a, a wonderful musical that everybody's talking about, Dear Evan Hansen, Ben Platt. And everybody says, how does that kid at 23 years old do eight of those a week. The voice, the emotion, you can't believe it. You can't believe that somebody that young could be that superb eight times a week, but he is. That is is thrilling. Larry, I, I know that you're a busy guy and I've taken up uh, more time than I said I was going to already, so if you got to get off, you let me know. I have a couple more questions for you if you don't mind. Go ahead. I've heard uh, you say, and I've heard a lot of other people say, that actors tend to be hurt or damaged, often coming from uh, abusive uh, paths or um, not-so-pleasant upbringings. Do you believe that you have to be hurt or damaged in order to be great? Not at all. And there are a lot of actors who had difficult upbringing, divorce, abandonment, many other things that have hurt them or made them mad. But there are also people that were loved and cared for so much that their heart is wide open and that they feel a joy in their heart and that makes them want to act. And they're so sensitive that they feel, you know, I I tell this story about Meryl Streep because believe it or not, Meryl Streep had trouble crying. And she said to an actress at Yale, who was very emotional, she said, how do you cry like that? And the actress said, when you look at the world, how can you not? How people suffer. So no, you don't have to be in angst. You don't have to be had a terrible childhood or had abuse to such a degree that you're walking around bruised and bloody. But I will say this about most actors and actresses. 
They're a highly sensitive people, meaning they feel life very deeply. They laugh deeply. They get hurt deeply. They love deeply. They're on fire for life. There's a passion, a passion for living and for telling stories. So no, you can come from the, as I say in this documentary, I say the work of the process is joy. Mm-hmm. Joy. I worked with a wonderful actress, as I said before, Madeline Kahn, and she starred on Broadway in a play called In the Boom Boom Room by David Rabe. And it was very dark, very tragic. And uh, she was brilliant in it, heart-stopping. And it broke my heart. And I went backstage to give her a hug and say hi, and she was smiling. The tears were still in her eyes, but she knew she had done a good job. She was so happy. The audience was crying, but she was so happy. So there's so much joy. And I said, I did a, a play called The Syringa Tree quite a few years ago off-Broadway. It was a one-woman one show, and the wonderful actress and writer Pam Legeen played 24 characters. Mm-hmm. And she did it. It was, it was on for two years. She did it for a year. And she would break the audience's heart. People were just sobbing every night. It was something. And I would go backstage, and I would say, and she would laugh at me because we'd worked on it for four years. She said, I know. I was brilliant, and you have notes. I said, yes, you were brilliant, and I have notes. And we laughed so hard at the joy of creating this play that moved people to tears and laughter. That's what we do it for, to give the audience. You know, someone says, and I quote this all the time, the audience doesn't come to see you. They don't come to see you. They come to see themselves. And then when they're moved in the other, they go, that's just like my Uncle Charlie. That's just like my mom. That's like my sister. You reminded me of this time. And you go, oh, I did a good job. I made them feel their own life. I just want to thank you for for taking the time out of your day to talk to me and talk to all the people listening to this. I've just got one last question for you, okay? Yeah. And I'm going to do this of everybody that I talk to on this podcast from now on. And that is, I'd like to give, you've, you've given us tons and tons of things that we can do and work that we can do. If in the next seven or 10 days, every one of my listeners, if you could have them do one thing, give them one piece of homework, just one, what would that be for them to complete? I would say, watch Daniel Day-Lewis in my beautiful laundrette, Last of the Mohicans, There Will Be Blood, Room with a View, and Gangs of New York. And then watch Meryl Streep in, oh my God, Sophie's Choice, and Devil Wears Prada, and uh, Death Becomes Her, and Bridges of Madison County. If you watch those films, I mean, really watch those films, you will never be the same. Because you will see what I'm talking about. Physical choices, vocal choices, rhythmic choices, dialect choices, super objective wants, relationship to objects, rhythm and tempo. And I will tell everybody, there's one movie you must, two movies you must see. A Place in the Sun, directed by George Stevens, with Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor and Shelley Winters. One of the greatest films ever made. Don't miss it. A Place in the Sun. And a film from 1936 called Dodsworth, with some of the best acting I've ever seen. Black and white, 1936 
watch all those films and then look at yourself in the mirror and say, who am I as an actor or an actress and what do I want to do and where do I want to be? Because I believe this, my friend, you can get so good at acting they can't afford to not hire you. To find out more about Larry, go to LarryMoss.org. His book, The Intent to Live, can be purchased anywhere books are sold. I've started a Facebook group for this podcast. I'll be posting the upcoming interviewees there, and if you want me to ask them a question for you, you can ask it there. If you don't want me to say your name on the podcast, please let me know. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.